Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Hi there everybody. Welcome to our online service. It's a great privilege and a joy for me to share a few things from the Word this morning. And let's pray before we do that. Hallelujah, Father. We're so thankful for this time. We consecrate this time to You. We thank You for Your presence, God. We thank You for Your peace. We thank You, Lord, that it's Your heart for us to flourish in the fullness of what You've prepared for each one of Your children. And we thank You that as we commit ourselves to You, we ask, Holy Spirit, that You would come as Your teacher, that You would come breathe life over each one, that you would come and minister to each one of us, Lord, and that, that when we're done here, Lord, that we would look more like Christ, that we would be transformed more into your image, and that your name would be glorified, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you've been doing well. You may have known that we've been busy working through a series of around relationships, um, and yeah, this will conclude that series. I hope you've been encouraged by what God has been ministering into our hearts. I had a laugh the other day. My son, David, is seven. And uh, he's, one of his good friends from school is a, is a girl. And uh, I don't think he knows much about girlfriends or boyfriends, but they enjoy playing together. But this little girl does send him letters with big hearts on them and all kinds of things. And I had to chuckle because I don't think he really understands why there's big hearts and things going on. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking and watching on in, with interest uh, what's going, going on there. In any case, uh, my title this morning is um, A Match Made in Heaven. What is, is there something like that? Um, you know, when we refer to a couple that seems to have it all together and there's a, you know, a great match, people say it's a match made in heaven. And um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because there is, there's a, something in us that that wants to and that desires that kind of connection with somebody from the opposite gender. And I believe that is from God. But sometimes we get discouraged because we are all around us. We see evidence of the country. We see evidence of people wrestling through challenges in marriage and challenges and massive obstacles in, in relationships. So often we ask this question, is it really true? Is it, is it attainable? Is there something like this? And is it possible? And I want to encourage you right from the start that let us keep our eyes on the fact that God's, God wants us to flourish in godly relationships. He, it's His desire for us to, to enjoy our marriages, to enjoy our families, to, that in that joy we'll bring glory to Him um, and that we would bear good fruit in that as well. But His desire is for us to flourish in that. And uh, in terms of this, this, picture of a match made in heaven I've heard that you may have heard this the lyrics of the song it says that everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to die and I had to, I had to, I had to kind of think of that and I thought that it might be relevant because everybody wants a heavenly match everybody wants a heavenly relationship but actually one of the key things that God the Bible says that needs to happen for us to to move in that direction is as for us to die to ourselves. Um, and this, this is a, one of the themes that have come out of this relationship series, the place where 
you and I, as we seek to serve our spouse, that we need to we die to our own desires. And we put those second. Um, and even, even at the root of it, as we seek to glorify God in life, we die to ourselves. So, but this morning, um, you know, I want to focus on something else uh, in terms of, is it possible to attain that kind of glory in marriage? Um, if one looks at this match made in heaven th- thing, this phrase, from the perspective of it's a match that is made in heaven, it's something that God has ordained and God has put uh, put this couple together. Um, there's a powerful scripture in Matthew 19 that refers to this and says, verse 5 says, and Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Referring to, yes, what God puts together, let no man separate. And so yeah, maybe that's part of that match made in heaven, is seeking God for that one that, that, that fits together with us. Um, and uh, yeah, last night we... We did the Q&A uh, around this relationship month and we had a bunch of great questions that were asked and we tried, a, we had a panel that uh, we tried to answer those questions as best we could. And there's some co- interesting questions that came up. Um, and one of those questions was, uh, you know, what's the most meaningful thing that you could do early in marriage to lay a good foundation? Um, and then another question was, how, how do you keep that spark in your marriage, how do you keep from drifting apart? And uh, those are very good questions. And actually, I want to I want to touch on one aspect of that. How what is a good what is one of those good foundational things, those good habits we can lay right from the beginning? And how do we keep that spark alive? How do we? Is it possible to keep that spark alive so that there isn't any drifting apart? And I was recently. Um, and yeah, one of the one of the things that we saw last night in this Q and A is that a lot of our answers kept on coming back to two key things. One of them was, are you in your relationship, in your marriage, pursuing a godly motive? Do you are you approaching it from a perspective that is godly and biblical, and that understands God's design for marriage? That was a, that was a key. And then the other one was, um, how powerful it is to be. To have the support of a godly community, how big that role, that the role that plays in us um, having godly relationships and godly marriages. Um, so one of those healthy habits that we can do from the start, and this is interesting. It's not a it's not a foreign concept, but it's something that I was encouraged with recently, and I want to share with you. I want to focus on that a little bit this morning, and it's uh, it's actually in the the wedding vows that we use often, and most of us maybe you remember making this promise. We promise to love and to cherish and to honor in the Lord. And we, we often, around relationship weeks and marriage seminars, we talk about love. We talk about that often. We talk about respect. We talk about honoring. But I, to be honest with you, I have not heard a lot of ministry around this cherish bit, to love and to cherish. And uh, this morning, I want to actually focus on that a little bit. And uh, recently, I've been encouraged by a talk that I heard from Gary Thomas. Um, he's uh, the writer, he's the author of uh, Sacred Marriage, and he's re- recently 
written another book called Cherish. And the tagline there is one word that changes everything for your marriage. Now, I haven't read the book and I'm really keen to read it, but I, I was listening to a talk of him, of him, you know, talking a little bit of what he, of, of the premise of the book and what he, what he writes about. And I was so encouraged by that. And, he, and one of the things that he, one of the taglines on the, on the advert for the book says, most marriages survive by gritting teeth and holding on. But marriages can and will not only survive, but thrive when husbands and wives learn to cherish one another. He says, instead of just loving, honoring, and supporting my spouse, yeah, how can I truly cherish them? Now, um, and what does that mean? What does cherish mean? And just for us to start with briefly on the, the Oxford uh, Online Dictionary, it, it speaks of, it's a verb, and it speaks of to protect and to care for someone lovingly. Uh, also similar is to adore, to hold dear, to love, to care very much for, feel a great affection for, to dote on, to be devoted to, to revere, esteem, admire, appreciate, and it goes on like that. So it's it's um, just to make it clear for the guys maybe struggling now, you maybe lost me at the third word there, but uh, for the guys, imagine that prized possession could be your dream car, it could be um, that thing that you've saved up for for so long, um, you know, just fill in the blank there. That thing that that you really, that's your prized possession and you care for that thing. Only the best is good enough for that thing. Maybe that car or that, it could be maybe a hunting rifle or that, you know, maybe a set of golf clubs. What, whatever it is in your case, um, only the best is good enough. Isn't that true? You've probably experienced that, you know, when you have that car that you're looking after, you're looking after it so well. Only the best car wash can, can be good enough for this car. And uh, the best valet place. And not every valet place is good enough for this car. And uh, anyways, you get what I'm going with this. There's, cherishing something is, or someone is that place where, where you, you actually do everything you can to do the best you can to care for and nurture and and uh, look after this someone or this thing. Um, and uh, there's a powerful testimony in this talk, and he speaks about a, a man that he spoke to that uh, tragically lost his first wife to cancer. And um, yeah, they were married for 17 years, and um, she, she got cancer in the last five years. Uh, it was quite hectic. And then especially the last few months, he cared for her, 24 hours of the day. He cared for her. She couldn't do anything for herself anymore. And he, he cared for her and he, he nursed her and, until the very end. And then he got married. He was single for some time and he got married again. And he says that he was amazed to see how different his second marriage was. And he says it's got nothing. There was no difference. There was nothing to do with this, his second wife being more, any more excellent than his first wife, but what he says that he noticed he noticed that his attitude had completely changed. And you know, coming from those last years and months from his first marriage of doing absolutely everything, serving his wife with every little detail, going into a season of singleness where he had to do anything, everything in any case, and then going into his second marriage, he kept on doing that. He says he kept on serving. He kept on 
you know, made, doing whatever he could to make things easier. And he kept on coming from that perspective of serving and nurturing and giving. And he says he could know, the difference was amazing, was, was very noticeable, uh, more fulfilled. He experiences the second marriage is so much more fulfilling and, and happier. And there was a completely different dynamic in that marriage. And he says it because he changed his attitude towards towards um, his wife. So he was loving her, he was serving her, he was treating her like a queen right from the beginning. And what in actual fact was saying that that it didn't it, it wasn't anything to do with his first wife or his second wife. He was saying that regardless of what your spouse does, if you have an attitude of nurturing and cherishing, that's going to have a massive effect, a massive impact on their marriage, regardless of what they do. If we, you and I change, excuse me, if we change our attitude towards this relationship and we approach it with this view of cherishing, it's going to have a massive impact. Now I have to move a little bit quicker, but he also mentioned uh, him speaking to a group of men and asking this question. He said, how many of you, and uh, as I remember correctly, it was a Christian group of men. Yeah, asked them, how many of you feel loved by your wives, and all of them raised their hands. He says, that's amazing. And then he, and he asked him, okay, but how many of you feel liked by your wives? And he says, every single one lowered their hands. And, and he said that was indicative of this thing, of they, they, they knew that there was a love relationship, and they knew there was you know, this love thing that they were both working on, but they also felt sometimes they didn't feel liked by their spouses. Um, so when we want to, when we, if you have a desire, if you have a desire to to step up your relationship to the next level, I believe this can be a key. Let's look at the, right in the beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden. They were in paradise, right? Uh, and they were having such an amazing time, um, and it was literally paradise. Everything was perfect, and their marriage also, their union, their coming together was perfect. Um, and I believe one of the reasons why that was perfect is because there was literally no one they can compare each other to. You know, when um, Eve, when God brought Eve to Adam, there was nobody else. He, he, she was the only one. She was the only woman alive, and she was literally the only woman on the planet for him, and she was perfect for him, and he had no one to compare her to. He couldn't say that one looked like this or that one looked like She was the only one that that represented everything that a woman could be to him. She was perfect for him. And imagine, and that's such a massive impact on their marriage. Um, you know, if you, if you, if you imagine the, that moment, um, and you, maybe you've been to a wedding recently, but that moment when the bride comes down the aisle, often most, a lot of the eyes are on the bride, you know, what does she look like, etc., but these days, um, a lot of people, and I've seen photographers also try and get a shot, trying to get a glimpse of the, the bridegroom's expression. You know, and as a pastor, having you know, stood there next to a bunch of bridegrooms, it's amazing to see the bridegroom is absolutely focused on his bride. There's a bunch of other ladies in the room, but he is absolutely, completely fixated upon only one woman. There's only one woman in the world 
for him in that moment. I believe if we can make that moment a daily occurrence, not just a once-in-a-lifetime experience, that's going to have a massive impact. If our focus and our, and our, and our absolute focus and, and fixation almost is upon there's only one woman in our relationship, that's, that's the start of a cherishing relationship. Um, if, if a lady really wants to feel cherished, she needs to hear Song of Solomon 6 verse 9 from her husband. And that's what I want to read to us next. So my dove, my perfect one, is the only one. My perfect one is the only one. He's saying that this lady is the only one for him. Another translation says, I still, I choose you. I choose you again. I still choose you. My perfect ones. You are perfect for me. You are the only one for me. If, 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 if we can communicate that to our spouse regularly, even on a daily basis, in some way, they're going to experience being cherished. They're going to experience being um, loved and nurtured. And the, uh, one of the things he mentions in his talk is, is the picture of a ballet. And it's interesting, you know, um, there are amazing male ballet, um, what, what's the name for a ballet? A ballet dancer, a male ballet dancer. There is a name. But uh, um, he says that they are most, they're never the center of attention. They, the focus is always on the, the lead ballerina. Um, and everybody comes to see her. There's a, maybe a bunch of other ballerinas, but there's one lead one. And the, the male ballet, uh, ballet dancer is there to make her shine. So he he comes alongside and he you know her whatever she can do he just improves that he lifts her high he helps her to spin more you know he he lifts her up and he does all those things amazing things and then at the end she's you know they step she steps into the limelight and and you know, receives the applause and often you'll see that the male the male dancer just steps back into the shadows. That is such a powerful picture. And he says that if we as husbands can have that mindset of saying, I want to do everything I can to, to make sure my, my spouse uh, flourishes in what God has called her to do and be and, is ex and excels in that. And I can, I can lift her up and I can, in my prayers and in my encouragement, and I can put her in that place and I can you know, put her in that place where everybody can see where the, where the world can experience the blessing and the glory that is of God through her life, then I've, I've done my job. Um, and, that, you know, and not expect that, that limelight or that, um, that uh, applause for myself. And, and, he, and he notes there, he says, that it's a massive shift that happens when you and I, as husbands in this case specifically, start taking pleasure in our spouses, our wife's pleasures, making sure that, that we put her first and we put our spouse first. Um, and then, as mentioned before, um, often when marriage is, is not based on a biblical understanding, and a biblical focus, we enter, uh, often then we end up entering into marriage. People end up entering into marriage from a selfish, self-serving, self-gratifying point of view with with really selfish motives and that's basically lust instead of love and he, and and that lust to be and um 
that side of lust, that lust to be appreciated, to be noticed, to be served, to be pleasured, is like any other lust. It can't be satisfied. There's nothing that can satisfy that kind of love. It has to be crucified. It has to be brought to submission to Christ. It has to be laid down. It has to die. Um, if we enter into marriage with this kind of lust for that appreciation, that attention, that I want to be served, I want to be pleasured, I want, I want all that I have this lust for these things, it's a, it's a non-starter. No single person can ever fulfill those, that kind of lust. It has to die, it has to be brought into submission to Christ. Um, and, and only when we acknowledge that Christ himself can fulfill these need in us, then we can we come to a place of fullness, of um, fulfillment. So let's have a look a little bit more and practically what does it mean? Uh, how, how do we, you know, how, what will help us to learn to cherish uh, our husbands or our wives? And one, one uh, tip that he mentions in terms of a husband cherishing his wife, he says that he had to learn to treat God as his father-in-law. In other words, that his wife is, is the, the daughter of God, and thus he needs to treat God like a father-in-law. And, uh, you know, maybe early on in your relationship, or even before getting married, specifically early, in the early years of your marriage maybe, you know, when you're around your, your in-laws, you do your very best to treat their daughter in a way that's going to bless them, in a way that's going to, you know, that's going to please them. How much more should we not treat our wives in a way that's going to bless our Father, in a way that's going to glorify God, in a way that's going to honor God? Um, if we have this focus that speaks, speaks of in Romans 12, verse 10, I want to read this to us. This, this is an important focus to have. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Try to outdo one another in showing honor. Trying to outdo one another in, in blessing and honoring each other is, gonna, is, is a great start. In other words, if, if your spouse is, isn't having a great day in doing honor, that means you're going to have an easier day, but you're still going to do your best to honor them. But if they're really stepping it up and they're doing, they're just stepping up to the next level and blessing you and honoring you, you're going to really put out and you're going to have to really t um, trust God to, to step it up. But isn't that an amazing place of trying to outdo one another in blessing and encouraging and honoring each other? Um, and when we, there's, there's this incredible sense of fulfillment that comes uh, when we, there's a, there's a joy that comes when we align our hearts with the heart of God for our spouse. There's a joy and there's a fulfillment that, is, that comes into our marriages when we, our hearts are aligned with God's heart. Amen. <clears throat> okay. One of the ways that uh, wives specifically can learn to cherish their husbands or to right from the start, this is one of those those habits to, to have right from the start, is to to have a commitment to contentment. And this is husband and wives the same. To have a commitment to contentment. In other words, I recognize that my spouse cannot be great at everything. They not can can I can't be all these things. Um, but to, to commit to, to be content 
in the in their strengths and the and the blessings that they bring and and what what they bring um, the joy that they bring to learn to be content in that to focus on those things um, and yeah part of that question is is similar to what I was speaking to before about before about the ballerina you know the, they say that uh, uh, the, the great compo- the composers that the the conductors those guys that conduct those big orchestras they say that Actually, the interesting thing is when you put an orchestra together, it's not such a big problem to find the first violinist, the, the, the one that will play the, the first part or the, the leading part in the violin group, for instance. He says the difficult thing is to find the second violinist because not everybody is willing to give that same dedication, that same hard work, that same input, but not be in the limelight. But he says without that second violinist, the, the orchestra just doesn't sound great it sounds terrible so you need that second violinist you need that one that will that will be there that will give that same dedication same level of skill mostly uh, same level of input and, and, and dedication that is willing to, to be second and that is a beautiful picture of how marriage works when both of us when husband and wife are willing to bring that same dedication but put the other one first that is where a godly dynamic comes in. And uh, basically it, it comes down to the fact of do we really be- believe Jesus or not? Do we believe Jesus when he says it is more blessed to give than it is to receive? Do we really believe that? And if we do, uh, if we, you know, if we really trust Jesus in this, I want to challenge you to trust him in this and to challenge and to test him in this. And I believe you will find it. If those words are true, indeed. Amen. And uh, if we think about the, the bigger picture, and maybe some men, this is a new concept in terms of being cherished. What does it mean? But if you think about it, and if you if you kind of make, you know look at your heart a little bit and uh, consider what, you know your feelings, most of us, all of us, um, would prefer not to just be tolerated. You know, it's it's one thing to just be tolerated. It's one thing just to know that your your spouse is tolerating you, or is just kind of bearing, just gritting the teeth, and just uh, be willing to put up with you. We want to be to be in another level. We desire a place where we are cherished, we are appreciated. Um, and one example, one story that really encouraged me also it says there's, a, there's an old, older couple couple in an elevator. And uh, the, he also, you know, also in the elevator, and the man is standing in front of the, the buttons, and he, he he wants, he's trying to find the number nine. His wife is number nine, and he's just he's struggling to find it, and he's kind of going up and down and back and forth, and he's struggling to find it. Um, and in that moment, you know, she kind of hugs him and comes up next to him and says, "Wow, you, your your mind is really." consumed at this moment with this this meeting you're going to this very important business meeting and then she encourages him and she says don't worry it's going to be all right you're going to you're going to do well um we're in a in a moment where she could have ridiculed she could have exposed she could have um you know put in a jab there she chose to cherish she chose to encourage chose to bless in that moment i want to briefly look at a key concept um, that uh, we often um, is 
something that can kind of uh, discourage or, or people if people understand how this works. And that's this lie about infatuation. This is one of the biggest lies around marriage is that infatuation is the, the pinnacle of marriage. Now, from a, a neurological point of view, the guys that know what they're talking about say that neurologically, infatuation can only last between 12 and 18 months, maybe two years. So they say, unless your brain is damaged in some way, that infatuation cannot continue much longer than that. Um, but the encouraging bit here is that after that infatuation has passed, cherishing is something that we can build on. It's something that we can grow in, and it's something that can be a blessing for a long time. You know, in the beginning, while we're dating, that infatuation is so uh, so intoxicating almost. You know? And it's part of that, the reason for that is that it's it's called idealization, where we, we we ascribe strength to that person that they don't have, where we ignore weaknesses completely. You know, we put them on a pedestal, we we we, we put the absolutely ideal situation in our minds and we we choose to ignore all the all the weaknesses and, and that's good to, to a great extent. Um, but the, re the reality is we seem to fall in love with a person that doesn't really exist. And uh, that infatuation um, has to pass at one point. And then, um, then it's not good enough. That, that kind of mirage of this person that we have, we have to come to a place where we realize, I'm going to have to learn to nurture and to cherish and to, uh, you know, to really cherish who they really are. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole concept around intimacy, intimacy means to be fully known yet fully accepted. Um, we cannot actually fully accept someone if we don't know them. So we can't really, if we're still in that, that place of, of, of almost idealization, we don't fully know somebody, you can't really be intimate with them because you don't you not you haven't fully known them and you haven't fully accepted them. So that real intimacy comes when we have fully accepted somebody, even if, when we have fully known them. Does that make sense? Um, but you know, so that infatuation happens whether you like it or not, or whether it comes and goes. But we we can choose to how do we react to it and how do we respond to that. But cherishing is something that we can build and we can invest in and we can grow in over years we can choose to, to to proactively cherish the other person one of um just before i go on to next but i just want to make a note here um beware of those tinted glasses you know people talk about rose tinted glasses and that's exactly what infatuation kind of as is a part of that is this we look every we look at everything through these rose tinted glasses but what 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 often happens is that later those rose-tinted glasses turn into contempt-tinted glasses. There's a bit of um, disillusionment that comes in. Um, often I see struggling couples. They're wrestling through so many things and hurts and discouragements and disappointments that, that there's contentment, that contempt that seeps in. And uh, I've recently... Um, spent some time with a couple, not in our local church, but they've been wrestling through so much hurt that that it's so difficult for them to see anything positive about their spouse because they see it through this very thick layer of contempt that has come in over years. 
I want to encourage us to really guard against that contempt that wants to creep in. Avoid that trap. So, so if you if we are stuck in this rut and we 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 love each other but we don't always like each other, how do we turn this around? And I want us to look at a couple of practical things. Um, and um, a great story that I read about um, a, a lady that decided she's going to bless her husband by writing something down. And it was a, leading up to the, his birthday, or it could have been towards the end of the year, but leading up to a significant day, and she was going to give this to him as a gift. So she, for a month or two, every day, she wrote something down that she wanted to thank him for every single day. And then she gave this to him, um, I think it might have been on his birthday. And apparently his response was amazing. He was so blessed. And he read, sat down and read through all of it in one go. And he felt so cherished and so loved and so appreciated. And that is one way we can, we can actually train ourselves to be, to, to be more cherishing. Is that every single day to look for that thing that you really appreciate about your wife. That thing that she did or your spouse. That thing that she did or said or the way they went, um, served the, your family or your children. And maybe at the beginning it may be difficult, or some days it may, they may be, it might be harder than others, but coming into that um, habit of wanting to write that down and then later giving it to them as a gift, even something small like that can cause us to more focus more on the things that, that we actually appreciate so much. So yes, there will be difficult things, and yes, there will still be things that we, we don't appreciate about our, each other, but we're wanting to actually record that and focus on that, that we do appreciate them, what we want to thank them for, is going to cause us to focus more and more on those things and appreciate them so much more. And that's going to that's gonna start shifting our, our focus. Um, a big part of cherishing comes through in communication. And I want to briefly touch on that. Um, so we, we become familiar with each other. And we come we often in our communication, maybe I'm busy with something, or I'm busy on my phone, or my, my spouse is talking to me. And, uh, and often there we, can, we become familiar to such an extent that we actually, a bit of contempt creeps in in the way we communicate. And uh, when we do, when somebody's speaking to you, when your spouse is speaking to you, it's not so much about what they are saying, because that's often where we think oh, this is not important, or I can continue with my work. What what they're talking about isn't so important. But it's not so much about what they're saying. It's it's more about who is saying it. And if we want to cherish somebody, whenever they speak to us, we need to be able to communicate. That I, I notice you, and the way we communicate that by, by, is by look, looking at them when they're speaking to us. You know, when I when I, when I communicate, I notice you, and I care about you. I, I look up and I, and I fix my attention. I say, I'm, I can hear. And obviously, there might be moments where you can say, I really want to listen. I want to really give all my attention, but I just need two minutes to do this thing. That may that may happen from time to time. But but when you fix when you look up and you give your attention and you, you communicate to them that what you say matters to me. Because when they're speaking to us, they actually, whenever you know, spouses talk to one another, they actually want to know, do you still care about me? Do you still, are you still interested in me? And, you know, that's one of those amazing things about the dating years is we cannot get enough 
of of knowing more about the other person. It's, it's almost intoxicating. Tell me more. How did you grow up? Or what? How does this happen? And you know, explain this to me. And yes, I'm so interested in that part of your life. Didn't I? Never knew you were you you did that when you were young, etc. And, and we we you can't get enough. Um, and it's so crucial for us to stay curious and to stay interested and to want to know. And you might ask, but how is it possible to stay curious about somebody that you've known for 20, 20 30 years plus? But the reality is, it's not the same person. They're not the same person they were 20 years ago. You know, whether um, a lady or a guy, we, we change. Um, you know, come, getting married changes somebody. Having children changes somebody significantly you know working through a success or a failure in occupation changes someone losing a close love you know loved one losing a loved one changes someone so so all through life we go through these changes unless we remain curious unless we remain interested we're at the danger of suddenly finding ourselves married to a stranger so i want to encourage us part of that 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 cherishing happens when we stay interested and we stay curious, and we say, "Tell me about that. How did this affect you? Uh, can you explain this to me? Or how did you experience this? Tell me about what you felt when this happened. How, how you know, we stay curious, and we, we're communicating something very powerful to that person. I, I'm, I care about you, and I'm interested in you. And uh, just to um, almost close." You know, imagine a young couple, and actually he told a story of he was watching his young couple, and they were sitting, uh, listening to a preacher, and um, the, the husband's buddy came along, and they were sitting together, the, the buddy and the husband and the, and the, and the wife, and the young, um, newly married, well, not, you know, not married that long. And every time there was something that was that caused some laughter in the audience, the husband looked to his buddy, and they had a laugh, you know, and... And the, and the but the wife was looking to her husband, but he was looking to the buddy, and then there would there would be an interesting thing that he said, and people would kind of comment, and and she would look to him and, in terms of saying, "Oh, did you get that?" But he would be looking to the buddy, and he noticed that as this was happening throughout the talk, that poor wife changed, looked completely changed from a place of, "Wow, this is amazing! I want to share this with you," to a place of complete dejection complete discouragement, just kind of a cold, dead pain face. Um, when we want to really communicate that we cherish one another, this is so crucial in marriage. That first call when you've had good news or bad news needs to be to your spouse. And, you, and if that's not the case, if, if maybe there's good news or bad news and you're still, maybe you phone your dad, you phone your mom, you phone a buddy, then I want to encourage you that you've not, you're not cleaving with your spouse as you should. And I want to encourage you that that's, that's a habit we can, we can create is to make sure that that first call, that I want to share this with you, the good things and the bad things, I want to, I want to share this with you, communicates something really powerful. Communicates that you are the one, you are the most important one, and you are the first call. It has to be that way in marriage if you want them to be to experience, to be cherished. You know, maybe from a, from another point of view, from another perspective, you know, in terms of we're thinking, okay, now, um, if how can I, you know, is it possible for me to make it easier for my spouse to cherish me? You know, we might think, 
oh, I'm a decent guy. Why should I have to change <laughs> for my wife? You know, surely she should be able to love me and cherish me just for who I am, you know, regardless. Um, but in reality, maybe on a idealistic view, that is the case. But in real life, there's really a powerful place where you and I can say, what can I do to make it easier for my wife or my spouse to cherish me? What can I do? What can I change to make it easier for them to, to cherish me? Um, and I want I to get practical here. Uh, maybe ask yourself this question. Ask, what is it like to be married to me? And maybe you have a, have a very serious conversation with yourself. Maybe find a quiet space and think, think through this. What is it like to be married to me? Um, and think through what would be the most difficult thing about being married to me. Maybe a little bit of an awkward conversation to have with yourself, but I think a really important one. What, what would make it very difficult to be married to me? To ask yourself that question and to, to find out how can I make it easier for my wife or my, my husband to cherish me and to, to enjoy life with me? And finally, how can I find out? How can I you know, find out how I can grow in this thing? And another practical question you can ask your spouse is to ask them, when did you feel most cherished by me? And to give them some time to think about that. And to, because this is not a cut and paste thing. This is not something that, that one thing will work for somebody else. You need to investigate. You need to discover what, is, what are those things that makes your person, your spouse, feel cherished. And this will be different for every person. And it will be different in different phases of life, in different seasons. So it's so important that, that we stay curious, we stay interested, and we stay in that place of saying, what will, what will communicate to them that I really cherish them in this season, in this situation that they're in now? So don't think what works for somebody else's marriage will work for your, your marriage. Find that place where you can discover for your one. She's the only one, as the Song of Solomon says. She's the perfect one. She's the only one. What is it that makes her, what is it makes, that makes him feel cherished? And how can I grow in that? She's the perfect one. She's unique. He, he's, that, he's the only one for me. He's the perfect one. He's the only one. How can we communicate that? I want to close with a scripture from Philippians chapter 2. Um, just, I'm going to read it quickly. Just a, how we find, especially not only as husbands, but in marriage, how can we Im emulate Christ in our marriages? Philippians chapter 2 from verse 3. Do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This whole idea of cherishing, this whole idea of, Putting the other one first is so biblical, is so godly. There's so much of us trying to emulate Christ and trying to imitate Him. 
This is his example. He laid down his life and he humbled himself. He put us first. He put us, he, he laid down his own life to the point of death so that we can have life. And if we have that perspective in our marriages and we cherish each other in, in that way, it cannot but bear fruit that brings glory to God. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you may be stuck in a rut in terms of tolerating each other and just kind of you know, gritting the teeth and just bearing with each other, I want to encourage you to embrace the grace of God to grow in this area. Maybe you, you've noticed some contempt creeping in, maybe in the way you communicate with one another. Um, or maybe you're in a place where you've, you realize the infatuation is now faded and, and you have a desire to, to take your relationship and your marriage to the next level. I want to encourage you. God's grace abounds toward us. And as we bring our hearts before Him, as we, hum, as we humble ourselves, as we repent of maybe that content or as we repent of a lack of con, con, contentment, his grace abounds as we humble ourselves and He makes a way for us to flourish in this. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. Oh Lord, we humbly come, Lord, and we acknowledge that often we, we, don't, uh, we don't emulate You, Lord Jesus. We, often, so much, often we follow the way of the world and we approach things from such a selfish point of view. And this morning we humbly come and we repent and we ask, Lord, that you will again establish in us that heart of Christ to, to, to esteem each other higher, Lord. So that you would again establish in us by your great grace, Lord, a place of, of putting each other forward and putting each other in the limelight and stepping into the shadows but, and, and doing everything we can to serve our spouse in a way that brings glory to you. And doing everything we can and receiving your great grace for us to really cherish one another as we promised to do. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd breathe on every marriage. I ask in the name of Jesus that you would encourage every heart right now in Jesus' name to look to you again, Lord, to receive strength from you, Lord, and hope again, Lord, to walk in the fullness of what is godly and what is, what is of you, uh, what, is, um, what you've designed for godly marriage, Lord, in Jesus' name. God, bless each person listening, Lord. I thank you for good fruit in every marriage and every family. To your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, we're going to have our live service uh, again tonight. So you're welcome to join us there. God bless. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.